Hello and welcome to the London Property Podcast, the home of Supercrime. Today we're in conversation with Tom Bill, who is UK Head of Residential Research at Knight Frank. So, um, so I guess primarily the question to ask you is um, how are you seeing the, the behaviour of uh, people change uh, post-lockdown and uh, how they're continuing the, the bounce back that we were having after Brexit was resolved? Okay. Um, I think if you wanted to take a sort of general look at the timeline over the course of 2020, you had a market that bounced back very strongly after the general election result uh, in December. So we had a very strong January and February and the start of March. Then, of course, we had um, the pandemic came along and we, the market was locked down for, uh, for around eight weeks. After that, as we probably all are aware, um, this pent-up demand was was released. And I don't think this was pent-up demand that was just around uh, during lockdown, during eight weeks of lockdown. This has been there for several years against the backdrop of, of Brexit, of the changing tax landscape. Uh, and so I think that probably took most people by surprise the extent of that, um, the, how much demand was released back into the market. And I think at the moment, as we're kind of moving into Q4, what we're seeing, I think, is a property market that has still an awful lot of momentum in it. We ran some numbers the other day, and actually most transactions that took place in, in August and September across prime London markets originated before uh, before the lockdown, or certainly before the market reopened. So I think there's an awful lot of momentum that's going to be building uh, against the backdrop of, I think, economic news that could potentially start to deteriorate towards the end of the year. Uh, and so I think you're going to have a, a slight mismatch again between what's happening in the property market, where, as I say, transactions are growing, uh, and in the wider economy where things are getting a little bit more uh, uncertain. So I think that's the trajectory of the property market over the course of 2020. And I think over the final few months, the market's going to be a little bit out of step, I think, still with the right with the wider economy, and that's just given how long it takes to to, to buy property uh, and the, the strength of the momentum that has been building over the last several months. And are you seeing any change in in profile? Or is it too soon to tell? Um, obviously, you know, we, we we the tax changes affected how people were buying buy to lets and new developments, and um, I guess we're moving more towards necessity purchases as opposed to. Uh, speculative purchases, but are you seeing any changes in in, in the profiles or in in the sort of spending habits of of potential investors and buyers? I think the biggest, most notable change is the fact that there are more British people who are active uh, in the market. And I think if you're looking at at the top end of the market, above £10 million, I don't think there's necessarily been uh, uh, an inherent change fall in the desire of people to transact. I just think they haven't been able to transact in many cases and haven't been able to get on a a plane and come over to view the property. So I think it's largely been a a logistical problem. Uh, If you look at the number of transactions actually over the course of 2020, it it pretty much matches what we saw in 2019 in terms of the number of sales above £10 million in London, which is actually quite surprising given what, you know, how the market has has been uh, in in 2020. And obviously it's been, you know, closed for for a period of time. And actually when we looked at the amount spent above £10 million, there was more spent above £10 million in London this year than there was last year, which is again something that might raise eyebrows. I think it's, it's fair to assume uh, that a lot of that was weighted towards the start of the year, but I think what that just demonstrates is the, is the strength of the underlying demand um, that is there, um, but particularly around you know what's happening in the, in the prime and the super prime markets. 
Um, and so overall, we've seen more British people active because obviously fewer people are able to get on airplanes. And so I think that's probably the most uh, notable um, change in the, in the demographic. What we're seeing with the people that, that are able to come over and view property, I think when they're here, they're actually fairly focused. Uh, there's not a lot of window shopping that's going on at the moment. I think those people that are over here and primarily uh, these are people who need to be here for, for schooling and those sorts of reasons. Those people that are here uh, are very focused and, and, and wanting to transact. I think the other point to make for prime and super prime buyers is I think there's, there's an awful lot kind of in the mix for them to think about over the next uh, over the next several months. Uh, first of all, there's the currency. Uh, it's, it's, it's volatile. The pound vol- it will remain volatile due to Brexit. The, the US dollar, any currency pegged to the dollar, will also remain volatile around the US elections. I think the key, uh, the key point in the US is, is does, the, does the government there get on top of the pandemic? Is the dollar, does the dollar once more become a sort of safe haven uh, currency of choice for, for investors? And I think the dollar would, would strengthen in that event. Uh, and of course, around the pound, we have Brexit, the same volatility that we saw in 2019. And if we see the same sort of pragmatic outcome that we saw in 2019, if we avoid the cliff edge Brexit, then of course, the pound will also strengthen. So you have currencies moving around. You also have uh, a 2% surcharge for overseas buyers that comes in next April. Uh, and I think that doesn't necessarily make a huge difference sort of further down, but the, the further up you go in terms of the price bands, it does start to make a difference. So for example, if you're transacting on a property, a £25 million property on the 1st of April 2021, you're spending an extra or more than half a million pounds in stamp duty compared to uh, if you had bought the property the previous day. So there's currency movement, there's changing tax landscape, uh, there are restrictions around travel. There are many moving parts, I think, for prime and super prime buyers in London to think about over the next few months. So the cha- the shift over to, to more British buyers um, is not hugely a coincidence. If you think back to when the tax changes started, was it 2013, as they started to make tax changes that were affecting the overseas investors and the overseas buyers. You know, in a way to me, it felt like we're trying to correct things so that the locals can actually start getting back on the property ladder. I mean, when I bought my first home, I needed 10% down payment. You know, now somebody in my position has to actually have quite a lot of cash in the bank to be able to buy property. And some of this is because the prices were getting inflated uh, somewhat unnaturally because of the tax disadvantages that we had locally compared to abroad. So do you not think that some of this shift to um, having kind of more domestic buyers is because it was intentional that there was going to be a correction because of these tax changes? I think it's a little early to tell if the tax changes themselves are, you know, are going to result in a sort of changing profile of buyer by nationality. What we've seen in 2020 is certainly just the, it relates to the ability of people to get on a plane and, and come over to um, the capital. And that's really demonstrated by just how quiet Mayfair and Knightsbridge have been compared to what they would typically be uh, during um, the summer months. I think you're right in terms of the reasoning behind the tax changes. It was largely a political um, decision um, and a decision, of course, related to affordability constraints within within the London property market uh, in order to create a more level playing field, I think, between international uh, and domestic buyers. Now, this tax, I think, interestingly, is probably, the, I think I'm right in saying the first tax that sort of affects just the overseas buyers in terms of um, 
in terms of it being targeted uh, for overseas buyers of residential property. Um, but it brings the UK sort of into line with many other jurisdictions, I think, around the world. And, and, and governments and global, you know, global governments are, are increasingly trying to track and monitor uh, the flow of wealth around the world, which, as we all know, is sort of moving around the world uh, more quickly than it has done in the past. It's, it's kind of going cross-border more than it ever has done. And so I think there will naturally be more control or a desire for more control by governments uh, in terms of tracking that that wealth. So uh, it, there's, an ev- there's a certain inevitability, I think, about it. And I think the UK is coming into line uh, with many other jurisdictions around the world. Ge- London doesn't look particularly out of step with sort of other key gate- you know, gateway cities around the world. Uh, but it'll be interesting to track, I think, in the fullness of time, the impact of the stamp duty change and whether there is a slight t- balance tipped in terms of domestic and international buyers. But I think... It, my initial my initial thoughts are it's unlikely because of the, the reasons that people have come to come to London. I don't think haven't changed over the last several decades, and tax is not really probably up near the top of that list. So the the other thing is that actually, for people you know whatever uh, nationality or, or or corporate structure they're coming from to still continue to benefit from investing in the residential market there are advantages if you are investing on a large scale and if you're investing in the long term so do you think there might be a more drive towards the us model of uh, investing in rental properties because one of the things is that obviously you to, to attract the talent and to 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 house the people who are going to come to London, whether it's for further education, whether it's for studying, they're looking for a certain quality. They, you know, they want everything now. They want flexibility. Do you think that this this might lead to a, to a slight reform in the way that we tackle how we supply um, and invest in rental properties? That maybe there'll be, you know, a combination of having uh, commercial properties that house some of these younger ch- uh, uh, employees and they have a lifestyle advantage to be in these buildings or going towards the US model where you you provide a lot of the lifestyle services as a landlord in a building that you sort of build to rent or or buy to rent. Do you think there'll, there'll be a shift towards a, a more kind of modern rental proposal? Mm. Uh, I think there's probably two things there. The first one is the, the the amenities and the service and the importance that they increasingly have when people are looking to buy property. Uh, and I think what you saw was, you know, very strong price growth after the financial crisis in London around Knightsbridge and, and Bogravia and Mayfair, uh, which sort of meant those parts of very central London became unaffordable to a certain buyer. And so I think what you had in the aftermath of that were, were developers who were building on the periphery of those of, of the Golden Triangle, if you like, or, or those core prime central London areas. And what they were building was actually very high spec, high caliber developments. Uh, and I think that probably changed the way buyers looked for property and bought property. I think they were increasingly driven by the development itself, by the amenities and the services. And that's all become a lot more important, I think, uh, over recent years. It's a trend that remains very much you know, prevalent um, today. So people are going further afield, I think, for, the, for, for, for best-in-class uh, properties. Um, in terms of the, the PRS model, uh, I think, you know, it's been heralded for, for, for decades. It was, it was, it's been you know, long, um, you know, for many years, people have been saying it's, it's time has come. And I think there is a, some extra momentum now in the market. And I think that probably comes from 
the fact that the affordability constraints have just become much more acute in the market, particularly in the capital uh, and the, the changing tax landscape. And I think as the, as the, the housing market has become politicised in the UK, uh, I think, you know, I think the government and, and industry has looked at different models of delivering housing. Uh, and so it feels at the moment in terms of the names that are attached to the sector and, the, and the, you know, the, the money that's due to come in to, um, you know, so-called multi-family you know, multi housing, uh, I think, you know, it feels like we are seeing a shift now through the gears, yes. And so you've gone from being a head of uh, London residential research to head of UK residential research at Knight Frank. And is there a shift, that a very obvious shift you're seeing from locals moving to how far afield or, or you know, because people are looking for bigger spaces and gardens and so on. Is, mm-hmm. is, is, is that something that you're seeing, obviously, to certain destinations? Yes, undoubtedly. Since the market reopened, I think, and there was a very strong uh, desire for, for outdoor space, uh, for greenery, uh, so, for example, I think people looking, you know, formerly looking in, in, in the centre of London were looking further out in the suburbs and people who were looking in the suburbs were looking further afield. And I think that just rippled out uh, across the country. I think initially what we saw, actually, we, we tracked our, our London-based buyers and where they were looking. Uh, and at the start of lockdown, many of them were looking in the southwest of the country, uh, looking to be very rural. Uh, and actually, over time, over the months, what we saw actually with the southeast of the country become much more, uh, much more popular for those London-based buyers. And now we're just starting to see the number of London-based buyers looking in London just starting to tick up again. So over time, I think what you've seen is kind of people starting to be sort of this gravitational pull of the capital. I think has started to have an impact. People have realised that perhaps they are they're able they want to commute you know for, for, for fewer days in a week, but but you still need to be uh, relatively accessible uh, in terms of getting into to London. So undoubtedly there has been a push for for more space. Um, the markets at the moment where we are seeing sort of minimal month on month growth are those markets where the, we have you know a prevalence of family houses and more greenery. So Wandsworth and Dulwich and Richmond and Islington. Uh, these are the markets where we're seeing sort of demand very strong at the moment and the best in class family houses we're seeing sealed bids and uh, you know going over the guy price is, is not uncommon at all so it, it's definitely been a factor uh, in the short term uh, and I think I think there will be a change in terms of you know the way people think about their work-life balance and their, their sort of balance between their London and you know, if they have a portfolio of properties between London and, and the rest of the country uh, I'm sort of hesitant about saying there will be a long-term structural shift in, 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 in the market. I think the country market really has, has been overdue, uh, this, this surging demand that we've seen after the financial crisis. It was very much all about London and, and, and the country market has had its sort of moment in the sun, if you like. But I think um, we saw it after 9-11. I think people were prophesizing the end of the tall tower and it was obviously it was anything but the end of the tall tower. Uh, and I, and, and there are some similarities now between trying to read too much and draw too deep a conclusion to what's uh, to what's going on. Urbanisation has been a fact of life for, for centuries. And I, I can't see that sort of unwinding or reversing very quickly. More likely, there'll be a subtle sort of shift over time uh, with people just rebalancing slightly um, to outside of the capital. We bizarre things happen in Super Prime, and we came across one inquiry where somebody wanted to buy a weekend property in Hampstead to go from Belgravia. So, 
Strange, strange things happen. Um, one question I always like to ask people, because we all sort of sit in a position where we we see trends and we see where markets go. If somebody asked you today, what would you do with 20 million pounds? What would you do with 20 million pounds? What would I do with 20 million pounds? I suppose it depends what my, my goal is. Uh, is my goal to turn that 20 million pounds into a the largest sum uh, possible? Uh, and if it was to do that, then I would probably not put it all into one property. Uh, I, I would, I think the way that the London market's been evolving, I think it's increasingly difficult to say this part of London is, you know, is performing better than that part of London. As I mentioned, it's more about the the right kind of develop, development and the, and, the, and the amenities and the services. And you can have you know, one development doing very well on one side of the street and on another side of the street, the development is doing less well. Um, so it's less about location. However, there are still, of course, some some fairly basic rules for property investment. I think infrastructure is a is a is a, is a big one. There's a lot of infrastructure going on uh, in London at the moment. And I suppose the other trend to note would be the sort of slight tip, uh, the, gra- the slight sort of change in the centre of gravity in the market, which has probably moved further east over recent years. There's, there's, there's much more happening out uh, in East London in terms of that becoming sort of that maturing as a residential market. And so, if you're looking for pure price growth, if you're looking for a sort of large percentage on a spreadsheet, then I would I would I would break down that twenty million uh, and buy um, properties in more affordable parts of London. Or perhaps what I'd do is I'd split it. Perhaps I'd buy a certain chunk in more affordable parts of London, where um, you. Uh, from from the sort of general demographic shift, you're going to benefit from house price inflation over the next several years. So looking at perhaps more overlooked, unfashionable parts of South East London. Uh, however, I do also think at the same time, at the other end of the spectrum, that the prime central London market is actually overdue a period of price inflation. So Kensington, Chelsea and Westminster are the two, London, are the two boroughs in the UK where we've seen sort of the, the House prices declined by the most over the last five or six years, for reasons that we're all familiar with. So I think there, are, there, there is an overdue uh, uh, period of house price inflation to come in prime central London. And actually, I think, given what I said earlier about it, it it's it, it's a logistical barrier. I think for many buyers at the moment, it's not a set, it's not a barrier to the you know, emotional barrier. It, it, they're not able to get on the plane and buy. So I think you could see actually demand get sort of pushed up towards the end of the year with everything that I said that's going on. Uh, and that might kickstart a period of, um, of, of house price inflation in prime central London. And actually, for, according to our forecasts, prime central London is due to outperform the wider sort of average across the UK over the next uh, four or five years for precisely those reasons. So I'd, I'd split it, 10 million in central London, 10 million in South East London. Well, we hope you found that interesting and informative in conversation with Tom Bill, Head of UK Residential at Night Frank. For further information, please email us info at londonproperty.co.uk.